Good morning. If you're a student, you are dismissed. Morning, Dave Cole. Thank you, guys. That was great. It's mm. always. And what's that line, Senor? Uh, where my sin. Where my yeah, your, where my sin runs deep, your grace is more. That's a good launching pad into what we're going to talk about today. Um, I'm so happy y'all are here today. Welcome. I greet you in the name of my Savior. I'm happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. Hello. Um, I shared a little bit of what we're going to talk about today uh, with the folks that were on the mission trip a couple of weeks ago in Juarez. But I, I just touched on this and I, I just spent some time this week sort of developing it um, just really for myself. Uh, I was reading not too long ago about some political leaders, a couple in, actually, well, two in particular. Uh, and I found it very interesting what this author was saying. He was, he was talking about the, it is almost, if you look at the, the significant leaders, according to this writer, if you look at the significant political leaders of history, it is not impossible, but it is almost impossible to find a significant political leader who will admit they were wrong. He said, just run through the list. They will, they will communicate everything and anything, but I was wrong. And I found that intriguing. Big part of the article talked about Richard Nixon. And those of you that are not 30 <laughs> would remember uh, that he was the President of the United States and he had spent his life, according to him, these are his words, I spent my life with one purpose and that was to become the President of the United States. And Watergate happened and uh, he had to leave office. He was forced to leave office. And later on, much later on, Robert Frost, Robert Frost, no, David, David Frost, Frost, sorry, David Frost, my bad. David Frost interviewed him. Robert would have written a poem about it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, David Frost talked to him about that in this interview, and he said, Mr. Nixon, most experts would agree that if you had just acknowledged to the American people that you were wrong, that you, you were wrong, and owned that guilt, you would have been able to finish your term as president. Would you now... This is years later. Would you now admit that you were wrong? And even years later, you got to admire his, whatever it is, I will acknowledge that I made mistakes. 
but you won't acknowledge that you were wrong. No, I made mistakes. Do you think about that? He quoted um, Vladimir Putin, who was in an interview. And the interview person, the news person said, when you think back on your life, Mr. Putin, what do you regret the most? And he said, as I reflect on my life, I've never had a regret. When I reflect upon my life, I have not had a regret. Dude. I mean, that's, a, that's an amazing statement. When I reflect upon my 61 years, I can't think of one regret. I have a hard time reflecting on much else, to be quite honest. I found this interesting. Benjamin Franklin was, came to a point in his life where he um, was unhappy with his personal progress as a human being. And so he came up with a list of 12 qualities, weaknesses, that he wanted to commit his life to working on and improving. And he gave the list before he implemented the plan. He gave his list to one of his best friends. <laughs> and he said, I'd like you to look this over and see what you think. And the friend looked it over and said, well, those are good. But the thing you need to put at the top of your list is you are eaten up with pride. And everyone in your life knows it. Eaten up with pride. He didn't even know it. And Oliver Wendell Holmes, one of the great Supreme Court justices, said that humility or the absence of pride is the greatest need in everybody else's life. Oh, I could run through this room like a flamethrower and remind each of you, you need to work on humility. Yep. I was just thinking that as you were talking about <laughs> world leaders and the, the pride, probably the hubris that it even takes to get to that level, I suppose. I don't know. And how easy that is to throw a stone at and say, well, you know, look at Vladimir Putin and look at Richard Nixon or whoever. And, um, but how, how we so rarely do that in the reflection in the mirror. It's just, we just so rarely do that. Um, can be overdone, of course, but it's easy to throw stones. Yes. Especially when the throwing of stones gets the focus off of you. Yeah. I see it every day. Couples come to me every day. And it really is. And that's part of what we're going to talk about today is just, in my opinion, it is a miracle of God. I mean like a Red Sea splitting miracle. Water into wine miracle. It is a miracle for a mate to listen to their mate declare how they have been hurt and wronged by them and the other one to go, you are right. I did that. I was wrong. They'll find every way in the world to address it or acknowledge it or deal with it without saying, I did that and I was wrong. I'm telling you, it happens. But, yeah. 
the testimony of the scriptures would be that we find life's greatest blessings, God's richest blessings, when we are willing to humble ourselves. That would be what the Bible would declare. People that are willing to humble themselves experience God's richest blessings. Some examples. Remember that fellow in the, in the Bible, in, uh, I think it was 2 Kings, give or take, uh, maybe three or five, right around in there. That, his name was Naaman. And he was a Syrian general, and he was eaten up with leprosy. And uh, he heard that he could go to this prophet in Israel and experience healing. And so he went, and the prophet, rather than coming out and making a big deal about this mighty warrior who had a problem, but that God was bigger, blah, 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 there was the the. The prophet just sent a little word to him from a little old lowly servant. Go jump in the Jordan River seven times. Well, that general, it flew all over him. That was beneath him. How dare. My rivers in Syria are way better than the rivers of Israel. He went off in a huff and some little servant girl said, Well, sir, if the prophet told you to do something, you know, incredibly difficult, wouldn't you do it to rid yourself of leprosy? Well, yeah. I'd do anything. Would you go jump in that river seven times? That pitiful little muddy stream? And he did and he was healed. He walked away healed. He experienced God's best because he was willing to humble himself. For me, that's, that story is a great example of our not uniformly and not 100%, but our um, initial response to things as human beings. You know, our very first, if you believe in the brokenness of man, the very first mm -hmm. response is, you know, it's not grand enough or it's not big enough or it's you do it first or that, that even with Naaman, eating up with leprosy, you would you'd think you'd do anything. And he did. But his first response was, don't you know that's not it. What you've told me will help me. That's not it. It's something. Cut off an arm. I'll do it. Swim across the ocean. I'll do it. Fight a giant. I'll do it. Go jump in that lake or that little old stream seven times. That won't help. And example after example, uh, Ahab, King Ahab, which is the, the quintessential biblical example of the worst person on the planet. That is the, he's the human version of the devil. Worst king that ever lived. And he finally stooped to the lowest rung of all his evil deeds. He, he had everything, he owned the dead gum country of Israel. And there was this little poor man who owned a vineyard. And Ahab said, I want that vineyard. And through a series of events, he, he had that man killed so that he could take that vineyard, have a little old garden. And God said, enough's enough. You, you're dead and you don't even know it. And Ahab, somehow, his eyes were opened. And this incredibly horrible, murderous, idolatrous, wicked, blasphemous, evil man. The, the Bible says, God noticed that he tore his garments 
and threw dust on his head and wallowed in ashes. And God said, have you noticed his humility? He's humbled himself. And God stopped the destruction that was headed toward that king. Nebuchadnezzar, great example. Daniel said, sir, God has got plans for you and they are not good. And the only hope you've got is for you to humble yourself. And Nebuchadnezzar said, I will not do it. I'm the rule of the world. He wouldn't humble himself. And he, he, God gave him an out. You don't have to end your life in disaster. Best New Testament example, you know, I love, is that little widow lady with that sick girl. She came to Jesus and said, Jesus, my daughter needs your help. Would you please help my daughter? And Jesus said, right now, I'm focused on the children of Israel. I cannot focus on others. I cannot uh, give the, the children's food to foreigners or dogs. Now, if it had been me or you, I think we'd have said, well, go jump in the lake. <laughs> we'd have said something else. But hey, don't you talk to me that way. But that lady, she said, Lord, even the dogs under the table Get some crumbs. Please help my daughter. Jesus said, for that answer, I'll, I'm a, and the lady walked away. But, but her rights were trampled on. Her identity was uh, attacked. Uh, Jesus spoke harshly to her. She walked away with a healed daughter. At the end of the day, what do you want? Validation, nice words, or your kid healed? That's actually a great question. At the end of the day, what do you really, what do I really want? That's a good question to consider. The Lord Jesus' half-brother said in chapter 4 of his little epistle, James, God gives us more grace, and that's why the Bible says God is opposed to the proud, but he shows grace to the humble. So humble yourself. Notice, don't let God humble you. That's a, that, that is a plan, but what James says, oh, that you could bypass that plan. Plan A is humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Don't wait on God to humble you. Humble yourself. Matthew 23, Jesus says, if you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled but if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. And then Peter, the Lord Jesus' best friend, said in chapter 5 of his epistle, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but he shows grace to the humble. So humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Don't wait on God or the devil or life or others to humble you. Humble yourself. Humble yourself so that you can experience God's best. It's interesting that both of those, humble yourself and clothe yourself in humility, are both written in the imperative. So mm -hmm. the implication, of course, is that it can be done. 
It's, it's something that can be done. Doesn't say, in these verses anyway, pray for humility. Exactly. Then hopefully it'll come. It's like, put it on. It's a, it's a choice of the will. Thank you. I think that's important that we realize that this is a, an option to do or not to do. And it's an option for Kate going to college or Austin uh, working at the gun range. Yeah, there you are. Or my mom ministering to her little group of boys around the street. Uh, wherever you are, making wed wedding plans, funeral plans, business plans, travel plans, parenting plans. I want to challenge us to consider for just a few minutes that uh, in the midst of all the things we got going on, the greatest need, the greatest battle, and for me, the greatest desire that I have in my life is to learn to do what Sherry just said. Humble myself. Because if I learn to humble myself, I'll experience God's best. His best, His plan A's has nothing to do with God loving me, Forgiving me, blessing me uh, with, with the basics of life or going to heaven. But if I want to experience the best that he has for me, I've got to learn to humble myself. And even though that sounds sort of nebulous and vague and theoretical. When, I've, when I studied the scriptures, I found some incredibly practical things. Just, you know, how do you do that? Well, the Bible gives us some really practical things on how to do that. And uh, I take these very seriously. I, clearly, those of you that know me well know that uh, I got a long way to go. But I do take these things very seriously and I do try to work on them. I don't, I don't just chalk them up to, you know, one of those principles that you put on your bookshelf or write in the back of your Bible or put on a plaque on your wall. I really try to work on these on a regular basis, many of them daily. And I want to just share them with you real quickly. See if they might be of help to you too. How do you humble yourself? I think the first way, at least for me, I get up every morning early and I spend time in prayer and in the study of God's Word. And I do it for many reasons. But I can tell you this, and I'm as serious as a heart attack. The number one reason that I do it is because I believe that it is one of the most important ways that I can experience grace. Fresh grace. There's nothing that I can do that opens my eyes more clearly 
to my need, my wretchedness, God's love, God's promises, God's power, God's wisdom, God's light. There is nothing that I can do that helps me see, oh my goodness, what I need and what's available than getting into the presence of God. Paul says in Hebrews 4, let us come boldly before God's throne of grace. And if you do, you'll find mercy and grace. Just come into, come into His presence. The writer of Chronicles said that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and what is it? And call and seek my face. I'm seeking the face of God. Not His hands, but His face. Humble themselves and seek my face. Then I will heal them. I will hear and I will heal. Heal their land. Heal their land. Whatever that land might be. The land of your heart, the land of your marriage, the land of your family, the land of your country. Whatever, you know, whatever that land means. People that come into the presence of God on a regular basis. Nobody ever comes into the presence of God and says, Woo, look, what a fine fellow am I. They go into the presence of God and they go, dang. I need more grace and dang. He's got an abundance. He's got an ocean full. I was reared on that verse in church youth group. If my people will call upon my name. But the, the emphasis to us then was the prayer, which is a good thing. We'll pray and seek his face. But what comes first in the verse, which I was never taught then that I remember, is humble yourself. Humble yourself. That's first. In that verse anyway. Second thing I try to do, and I hope this doesn't come across uh, in a confusing way, but I mean it. You want to humble yourself? Pick a sin in your life that you have been ashamed of, tried to change, and eventually you gave up. Then you started rationalizing, excusing, hiding, blaming. But you came to a point where you said, it's no use. Now I know I'm not the only person in this room that has those sins. And you just sort of, like, it's like, getting in a, like being in a little boat going down a river. You just let it, I can't, you start fighting that sin. Fear, anger, lust, greed. Selfishness. Control. Control. You start fighting a, a serious besetting sin in your life. And you know what you're going to come to the realization? You're going to realize how weak you are. Because every day I get my rear end whipped. So what am I going to do tomorrow? Hold up my little white surrender flag? Or say, you know what, God? 
Tomorrow's a new day. I'll fight again. I'll fight again. We humble ourselves when we will not surrender to prejudice, to lying, to pornography, to rebellion, to greed. Uh, it humbles you. Because we're, we're, we're Americans. We can whip everybody. And I, I actually believe that. Except my heart. And that's an enemy that I cannot whip apart from the grace of God. I'm so sorry. Hush. Paul says in Romans 6, Don't let sin reign in your body or follow its selfish desires. I love this verse. John says in 1 John chapter 3, Those that put their hope in Jesus' return will purify themselves like Jesus is pure. And in 2 Chronicles, that verse in chapter 7, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear and forgive and heal. You want to humble yourself? Give somebody forgiveness that doesn't deserve it. And that just a minute ago, you wished a wagon wheel would roll over their head. Make a decision, I forgive you. I don't want to, and I really don't like you, but I choose to forgive you. I choose to forgive you. C.S. Lewis says about forgiveness, it's so overwhelming, right? He says, he was writing during the time of World War II, he said, don't start with the Gestapo. <laughs> start small. You know, your mother or your mother-in-law. Not that I have any issue with that. <laughs> he says, it's not that people think that this is too high and difficult a virtue to forgive. He says, it is that they think it is hateful and contemptible. Mm. person we need to forgive perhaps does not deserve it. Mm. And so it's hateful for me to do this thing, or it's contemptible. Well... That's contrary to the word. Reject payback. Reject grudges. Reject self-protection. Reject repeating the offense in the future. But you remember when you... Forgive. Jesus said, if you hold anything against anyone... Forgive them so that your Father in heaven will forgive you. You want to humble yourself? Ask for forgiveness. Is there anything so hard? Be the first. Confess your faults and your failures. Nothing humbles us like acknowledging I was wrong. Not I made a mistake. Or yes, I did wrong, but it's because you 
or work or the government or COVID. Just, I was wrong. I was wrong. And it grieves me. Will you forgive me? Peter says, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another and you will experience healing. You, you almost said it a minute ago. You want to humble yourself? Be the first to do what you know is right rather than waiting on your mate or your coworker or your kid or your parent or your friend. I do need to make this right. I do need to do something in my relationship with April. But she does too. And so I'm going to wait on her to make the first move. How many of y'all that are married been laying in bed beside your mate? You're waiting on them. If they'll just make the first move. I've never done that. No, I have. <laughs> Don't wait for your mate to make the first move. You do what's right. That's why Psalm 37, my favorite chapter in the Bible, David, in the darkest time of his life, he wrote this at the darkest moment in his life. God said, fear not. Trust in the Lord and do good. And then you will dwell in the land and experience God's faithfulness. Trust in the Lord and do something good. Find something to do good. And you, will exp and you will be able to dwell in the land. How many of us, how many people trust in the Lord but wouldn't do good? And they were not allowed to dwell in that most precious of relationships. It was lost. James 4 says it is a sin to know the right thing to do and then not do it. You want to humble yourself? Ooh, this is hard for me. Learn to really listen to people when they're talking. Hard to listen when you have an ocean of knowledge. And if they'll just shut up, you can quench their thirst. Listening creates empathy. Listening brings us to a place where we see their point of view. Listening helps me find ways to, to focus on our points of agreement rather than our points of disagreement. A humble man will listen. That's how I know I'm not humble. I have a hard time listening. So and, I, I'm and sorry. active listening rather than just being quiet and waiting until you're, you they quit, take a breath. You yeah. quit, finish <laughs> yapping, so then I can start. But actively listening. There's a little test on that. It's just that can you say back to the person what they told you? Can you say it back? If you can, then you've actively heard them. And then you act according to however you're going to act. If you can't, mm -hmm then everybody's just, you're just biding your time. You're just being quiet. Yeah. It's not the same thing. 
Because James 1 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. You want to humble yourself? Find somebody to submit to. Who in your life, other than your mate, they don't count. That's, that's, that's a different world. That's a different thing. Who in your life, who knows you and loves you and is committed to your success, have you looked in the face and said, if you see something in my life that's not kosher, I, will, I want you to tell me and I will own it and I will respond accordingly. Who in your life finds somebody or somebodies to submit to? Humility flourishes where there is transparency, where there's accountability, and where there's truth spoken. That's why Peter says in chapter 5, Submit yourself to your elders, all of you, and clothe yourselves with humility. You want to humble yourself? Hang around the poor. We have created a society that is convinced that we experience the greatest benefit when we are around the greatest people. The prettiest people, the most popular people, the most wealthy people, the most powerful people, the best people. We have convinced ourselves that where we experience the best and the greatest benefit is by being around the best and the greatest people. The Bible would scream, stupid, stupid. I have read the most uh, significant spiritual giants and followers of God for 40 years. The people that have impacted the kingdom of God the most for the last 2,000 years, I've studied them for 40 years. There is no message that these people would consistently declare. If you and I want to experience God and His grace in the most abundant ways, hang around the poor. Serve and honor the poor and the needy and the powerless. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, don't be proud. Instead, surround yourself with the needy, the poor, and the unimportant. What do you do to surround yourself? In fact, isn't it really true? What we do is... We create ways to get away from the poor. We don't want... They make us uncomfortable. They make us feel bad. They make us feel judgmental and condemning. 
and superior. We don't. We do what we what it takes to get away from people like that. And yet Jesus says, "That's who I came to be with, and that's where I am. And if you want to be where I am, uh, Christopher, you sang a song about being where Jesus is, wherever Jesus is. That you know where Jesus is. You know where Jesus is today." I'm thinking he's exactly where he was 2,000 years ago. Hanging around the poor. Hanging around the poor. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like for you. I'm not saying it's one size fits all. But I'm telling you what I'm telling you. The greatest followers of God for 2,000 years have consistently been in agreement. You want to experience the presence of God, the grace of God, the wisdom of God, the transformation of God? Be around. We don't receive as much from people with hands that are full as we do from people with hands that are empty. I think the, ver the verbs are important there. Um, be with the poor, minister, love, not try to try to fix um, helping and loving comes from can come from a true love comes from a place of giving 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 and if you don't give back then it's okay but when I come to try to fix you or fix the, the system or whatever it is then I do what I'm going to do and you don't reciprocate accordingly, then I'm, you know, what I am whatever I am, bitter, angry, I'm done with you, whatever. The point just being, of course, that that's not love. Yes, ma'am. But some sort of odd band-aid. Actually, when our ability to fix the poor might very well be an excuse for them being used of God to fix us. If I can give you money and then I can get away from you, somehow that eases my, I don't even know what it is. It just ain't right. <laughs> Whatever it is. I don't, but, but when I can be in the presence of people with nothing and I recognize who they are and I see them as if God will give me the ability to see them as he sees them. Something powerful takes place. I have others, but that's enough. Didn't you tell me something about the difference in Tolstoy and Dostoevsky? One hung around the poor and one... Yeah. What, what was that? Yeah, what were that. you telling me about that? So I um, like that story. Two great Russian writers, Fyodor Dostoevsky and... Leo Tolstoy wrote during the same time. Very different styles. Uh, Tolstoy was rich, count, and he owned land. And he owned serfs because that was the time. It was before the pre-revolution, and he owned these people. And he hated that. He hated that he owned people. He had inherited this serfdom. Um, and he wanted to do something about it. He wanted to free the people. He really did. He said he did. He wrote about it. But he never did it. Mm. He, couldn't, he couldn't give up the 
literally the farm. He couldn't give up the estate. He couldn't give it up. He needed the serfs to run it for him. And so he lived with them. He visited them, but he never loved them enough to give them freedom. And he hated himself for it and died alone. Dostoevsky, on the other hand, was poor. He was a wretch, too. He drank too much and gambled too much. and He'd love our church. I think he would. <laughs> but when it came right down to it, he, uh, he lived among the poor and loved them. And um, even while they lived and wrote, of the two, the more content of the two. That's my point. Was Dostoevsky. Yes. He experienced some level of healing from actually identifying with them, being with them, really being with them. Yes. I never, I will never forget you telling me that. That's a, yeah. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, Uh, we're gonna we're gonna serve you some bread and some wine here in just a moment, <clears throat> and we want you to open it and eat it and drink it. We ask you to do that so that you can reflect on what the Lord Jesus has done for you. His willingness is Robin Red you want to get a group of theologians in a fight, just mention Philippians chapter 2 and where it says that Jesus emptied himself. He, he emptied himself of all that he was as God and took on the form of a servant so that we could be healed. What does it mean that Jesus emptied himself? That's a huge theological <laughs> discussion. And we eat and we drink to remind ourselves of that emptying, that humbling, that the only one that has ever not been proud actually is the only one that has ever perfectly humbled himself. It's very interesting. He who knew no sin humbled himself. Um, I like that. That's good to ponder. We're going to give you bread and wine to eat and drink so that you can remember and reflect and ponder Jesus humbling himself for you. But, um, nope, nope. Don't, uh, don't, don't miss an opportunity right now. I think God is speaking right now. This isn't hard. This isn't Christianity 401. And this is kindergarten Christianity. This is, this is as basic. We experience God's best when we humble ourselves. We miss God's best when we won't humble ourselves. There are practical things that we can do to humble ourselves. Before you hop up and 
Take a moment. What is God saying to you today about your pride? What is God saying to me that he wants me to really double my focus on in learning to humble myself? Let God speak to you today. He wants to. Not because he's mad at you. Because he wants you to experience his best. So, don't miss that.